0: Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. I am joined by Laura Orr. She is in pursuit of one of the seats with the Urbana School District. Thanks so much for joining me today, Laura. Thanks so much for having me. Before we get into why you want to be on the school board, tell me a little bit about your background. I know you grew up here. What schools did you attend from elementary through college? I enjoy talking about the schools I attended. I was lucky to have pretty good experiences
1: there. I attended Leal Elementary School, Urbana Middle School, Urbana High School. And I didn't go very far, but I did leave the state and I completed my undergraduate degree in fashion design at Washington University in St. Louis. Ended up there. I was planning on running track. That was the main reason I decided to go to Wash U, but left with an art
0: degree. Barely got that minor in Italian. Flash forward from Wash U to the point where you're now a parent with students back where you grew up. Tell me a little bit about what led you to want to run for school board. I have had previous friends
1: that also have kids in the district, and I know former board members, and it's kind of been on my mind and thinking about how I would serve if I wanted to serve, could I handle running to serve? So I would say probably about a year and a half ago at this point, I had always been very involved in the schools, volunteering and fundraising and trying to help and participate, not just for my students, but for, you know, classrooms and teachers and I really enjoyed that opportunity to get to know the school and those who work there. But I would say when about, I think, again, I'll I'll repeat myself. So I apologize about a year and a half ago when the the SRO debate really kind of fueled my participation in board-centered conversations. So really thinking about, you know, my stance, what I wanted to ask the board, what I wanted to say to the board. So that, that involved going to a lot more meetings, participating in public comment and really kind of getting to know some of those issues and having before really probably, you know, more so just listen to recordings and hearing from different parent conversations up to that point. So I think kind of the combination of feeling like I, Felt comfortable, like I had a good relationship with a lot of, you know, staff members and schools and now having a child in middle school and elementary school and upping my participation in the, in the board conversation. Pieces came together and I was like, this is my time. This is when I feel ready to commit to the extra work, kind of digging in and, you know, kind of moving from that like parent advocate to kind of like more community advocate I guess as well building on my previous ideas of involvement that included not just sticking my head in the conversation for my children but actually sticking my head in the conversation because I could see in this you know classroom of 33 students that there were a lot of needs and not everyone was able to show up and express those needs and Building relationships with families where they felt comfortable sharing with me and kind of being helping be the bridge of maybe some of those requests or just in general seeing something that seemed to miss. And so I was able to kind of interject with a conversation or question.
0: We are going to get into the SRO issue in a minute, but let's talk about a quote on your Facebook page. You say, I will fight for sound, equitable policies, encourage open and consistent community dialogue, and fight to represent those that have felt left out or unwelcome in the conversation. What issues does that include, especially that last part?
1: I will say initially, I think a big part of that is participating in the dual language program. So both of our children have had the privilege to participate. And our older son is now in sixth grade. So he's been there, you know, it's been several years and our second son is now in first grade. And I would say the program has grown and changed quite a bit, but initially in that beginning journey of the program, there was a lot of learning there. And there were a lot of families that were not able to participate in the ways I think that we've, we've made some improvements. So I was over six years ago, a fresh kindergarten parent, you know, There weren't meetings in English and Spanish. There weren't dialogue going home, you know, in the same capacity. There weren't necessarily translators at all PTA meetings. And so I think kind of noticing and seeing kind of that need, there has been a big shift. Now those are, are all like commonplace and that has improved immensely. But I think some of those initial years, just really trying to advocate like, what is the program about? who is it for? It's not for my children to learn Spanish. That's not what it's for. It's to better welcome and involve and integrate and you know help families that are coming into our community that actually need the educational supports. It's for those families. It benefits others because it's a language learning acquisition, but it, it is to benefit the students that need to learn English and use Spanish, you know, as that segue. So kind of really getting thrust into that environment. And earlier in my journey at Leal, there was a parent group that we started. It was called Iguales. And it was really looking at ways in which the two sets of families, really, that needed equal support from the schools. And so how could they both access that information? How could they both feel included? So one of the major elements was is, was kind of rewriting the Leal pledge that had always been something that was a part of the school. And rewriting that with students and teachers, we ended up putting, up putting it on the entryway wall in both English and Spanish. So it was kind of hopefully, you know, that would be like one of the first things people could see when they came into the school. Really trying to make sure that we had the opportunity at Leal PTA meetings, there was childcare provided, there was dinner provided, right? These are huge. Some of these are big blocks for families to come. So thinking about some of those ways in which the school, in providing opportunities for families to
0: participate, that actually they could participate because it was accessible. I'm glad you brought up Leal because Leal consistently, since I was little, has such a great reputation, but is overcrowded. Yankee Ridge, my school, I drive by, I don't even recognize it. All kinds of construction needs. And there was some debate on the equity of where things were getting done. Is that an issue for you, some of the construction needs, and do you think it's getting done fairly? I can understand that
1: these are huge budgetary projects for any district. You know, I know for Urbana that the work being done on all of the schools, it's a a massive amount. There's a high likelihood that when the board and the community had opportunities to talk about what was happening where and when and why, there was a, a pretty good chance that we weren't able to hear from all of the community members that potentially should have been more actively sought out. Now, having participated in meetings and understanding like how public comment works and how something that I think is really important is how we how do we collect, we talk about stakeholders a lot, this is like a word that gets thrown in there a lot, but how do we actually get the stakeholders information? If we're only leaning on people have to show up to a meeting to share their ideas, that's challenging. Or if we're only leaning on a survey that you have to have internet that's reliable to answer the survey, you're going to miss a lot of people. So I think that like collectively as a large organization, such as a school district, really looking at when we mean stakeholders, how are we actually including them? I wouldn't say so much maybe for you know, building order or building needs. But there's a huge hole there when we talk about student buy-in and student voice. And how does that? what does that look like when you participate? What does that look like? How do we set that up so that's actually successful? To kind of go back to one of your other points, yes, our schools are slowly getting renovated and that's super important. Buildings need to be welcoming and feel like it's a place you wanna be. That doesn't just necessarily have to be, you know, new, but I do think it's like thinking about human-centered design. How do people engage in spaces? I think we know coming out of COVID, buildings need to have different HVAC systems, different ventilation systems, you know, checking in, checking out, entry and exit. So these are big questions that I think are still going to be on the plate, even with the scheduled renovations we have. That might just be like a running thing that the district will be in charge of. You know, we're always going to be maintaining and working on buildings. There was a part about you know classroom size and just numbers in schools. And you know, I, it will be curious to see what comes out of the census data and what our community looks like now and where where we're seeing growth and not growth and how do we facilitate that. So you know, some of those questions will come out of probably potentially a redistricting conversation. But again, I do, you know, there's some big points about how do we collect information from people's, you know, people we want involved in the conversation? How do we use that to make choices moving forward that are equitable? How do we redistrict using information from the census? So it's obviously layered and fairly, I don't think it's like overly complicated, but there's just a lot of moving parts.
0: So being kind of continually actively engaging in all of those parts. This next question is going to be largely anecdotal on your part, but since you've been attending meetings for a long time, what schools from elementary or middle or high school seem to get the most parent comments or student comments? What group of schools would you say have the most needs and community input? We're talking about student voice and student buy-in. I would say the most often I'm hearing from high schoolers,
1: which I would say right on. And that makes sense. They're more mobile, potentially. Their worldview is probably bigger. I have heard the most in public comment from a high school demographic, but that isn't to say that there aren't, you know, other opinions from middle schoolers or even elementary students. I don't quite get the sense that it has ever felt like a space where it's like, oh, bring the whole family and we're all going <laughs> to talk through these issues. So, so yes, high school students I know there are other discussions besides the SRO, but during that time, I would say there was quite a lot of conversation from high school parents. I think a lot of that was directly related to several incidents that kind of happened. It was like a domino effect, ignited a lot of conversation. I don't quite often hear as much from maybe elementary families that I say middle or high.
0: We touched on school resource officers earlier, but I know that you feel strongly about them. Tell me your stance on them. Why are they important or why should they be abolished from schools? I know as a parent and a community member and someone seeking a seat at
1: the board table, this is a really important topic and something that is front of mind with COVID, kind of coming back to schools and how we can move forward. I can clearly say that I do not support SROs in our schools. I have kind of come to three main categories in which I look to that I can say definitively, I do not support SROs. One of those categories I'm calling cultural buy-in and looking at the communities that are impacted by SROs and how they are responding. And that could be on social media, in public forums, in editorials. And what we definitively know that there is a growing body of research that states increased police presence does not result in safer schools. In fact, it actually does quite the opposite in that it is correlated with increasing juvenile incarceration. And I think those of us who are involved in schools, have students in schools, in a community with schools, we're aware of the term, you know, the school-to-prison pipeline, and I think that's really important to bring up right now is when we talk about having a police presence in schools, and that only amplifies the term, you know, school-to-prison pipeline. What we know about the demographic of Urbana schools is that it has been changing, And when I say that, I'm talking specifically percentages of culturally how they identify. Per the Illinois report card, which is you know accessible to the public online, we know that our in our high school there's a breakdown of over 34% Black students, 4.8% Asian students, and 14.3% Latinx students. And in the middle school, we have a breakdown of 37.4% Black students. 17% 17% Hispanic, 3.7% Asian. So what that is telling us is that we really have a large portion of our student body that also has to have equal weight and buy-in to this decision. And that those students particularly are the most impacted by bringing a police officer into the schools. We have also know recently that the data that came out during some city council meetings and conversations about juvenile arrests during the school year, which we also know potentially are taking place during school hours, exponentially higher for Black and Latinx students. And if we are trying to move away from a prison-to-pipeline narrative, we need students in schools. They can't be missing schools. They can't be in offices being questioned. They can't be in other spaces. That's not. Those aren't learning spaces. So, number one... The cultural narrative we know is to me probably the most important of my no to SROs. But I would say, especially in this last year, we have seen a dramatic shift in the zeitgeist in our communities and in our nation of what Black Lives Matter means, what that movement is trying to project. And we know that there are thousands of individuals and families out speaking against this very decision. Number two, I would call transparency. And I would say this comes from those making the decision. So this this is particularly about the board's process in deciding SROs or not. We know that back in October 1st, so this is back in 2019, the intergovernmental agreement was brought to the board and 49 days later, it was voted on. And not only was this an issue for community members, this was actually an issue for board members. So the vote only passed four to three. And there were several board members that expressed concern at the timeline. And there was a concern about why there was no committee formed. This typically is something under this, under a microscope with this kind of level of attention and concern from community would have gone to committee for longer periods of public input and buy-in. I would say my third main point, which might be the easiest to jump in at, is the budget. The budget for the SRR program is over $321,000. And we know that is a, a huge chunk of educational tax dollars. Looking through records and looking through costs, that money alone is covering Salaries for one full time SRO at the middle school, one full time SRO at the high school, cars. Many of you have probably seen a new car in the parking lot of both UMS and UHS. Um, Uniforms, weapons, and training. And the training, we know, is also done in a silo with fellow SROs. This is not training that's trauma informed or child development informed. Investing that money in support staff and counselors and rebuilding the commitment to the restorative justice practice program that the school implemented a few years ago, we know would do so much more good and I think could really reach so much further than this large price tag for two police officers in this school. And I kind of want to end my conversation here about SROs with two quotes from two Urbana High School former students from 2019. One student states, as a student, I am intimidated by police and I'm less likely to try and take part in dialogue under police supervision because their presence says to me, if you make a mistake, there could be legal consequences. And I have one other quote I would like to share. And these are both students from Urbana High School, class of 2019. A police presence does not promote understanding, tolerance, or peace, but instead impedes it. So I will leave my statements there. It's vital that we really take advantage of our students speaking out and trying to understand where they're coming from. And again, I appreciate you letting me take this time and opportunity to
0: share my opinions about the SRO conversation. Before I let you go, I have to ask, so many people have endorsed your campaign. What about your message has resonated with the community? Not only have I lived in Urbana for a
1: significant period of my life, I have worked with a lot of different organizations, a lot of different people. I really try to be active within the groups that I participate in, that my family participates in. I'm a fairly social person, so I'm often engaging with people as much as I can because I enjoy just talking to people. So COVID's been very hard for me. It's like longevity, history, and consistency. If I say I'm going to show up, I'm going to show up. If I extend the hand, it's always there. And I think that has now been able to kind of come back and help and say like, yeah, I've been around this person and I have worked with Laura and I have seen, you know, that she's committed and she's hardworking. That's the strongest thing I can bring to the table is that I am living and breathing schools all the time. My children are both in there. I formerly worked in the schools. I had come from a lot of public educators in my family. Public schools are really important to me. And I think they're really important in a community such as ours. I mean, any community, but this is where I live. I really talk to people a lot about our public schools. I like to share stories about our public schools. I think it's really easy to think about the negative things or maybe the scary things that might be happening in the schools. But I see amazing projects and artwork and music videos and science olympiad I see all these things that like are also happening. It's a living breathing organism and we got to see the good too, but I also think we have to make them exceptional. The best thing we can do for our youth and our community. So, we got to make them exceptional. I try to get to know a lot of different people and you know, I hope in that effort that I have been a good friend or a comrade or an ally, those are goals. So I've really appreciated everybody who has offered their endorsement and shared their belief in my campaign and just who I am as a person to be able to serve on the board. There are a lot of incredible people in this community and a lot of people that I also think potentially might be thinking about running for school board And either maybe it's not the right time or they're not really in a position to serve. I think it's important to acknowledge that I am in a privileged position to be able to have, you know, the help of a partner and help of my family to dedicate the time to serve in this way. I don't take that lightly. I really, you know, I value the process and I do value having an opponent, and I think it's really important to have the opportunity to talk about how we're different and how we're the same or what our goals are for the board. And I think for a long time, especially in the school board, there have been several unopposed elections, and I think that makes it really difficult to get to know somebody as a candidate because it's it's kind of assumed they'll win. I'm also in the team, let's recruit all the future board members team. Because it is, I think, such an important position to be able to share and build on something. But it also, it relies on change. It relies on new voices. It relies on people who have
0: like that current pulse that it's going on in their community. Thank you for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. I want to thank Laura Orr for joining me today. Thank you so much and good luck with your candidacy. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.